This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Jesus said on one occasion, he said, I always do that which pleases my Father. He said on another occasion, I always do the will of the Father. How could Jesus do that? We assume, we the, the, the natural man assumes, that Jesus had something different than us. And he did. He didn't have the experience of sin in his body. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. But he didn't have the experience of spiritual death in his body that we have, that we carry. That's why he had to be born of a virgin. To bypass that, to be the perfect sacrifice. But this is saying because we're in him. Because he died for us. The exchange was made. Spiritual death for spiritual life, eternal life. Because of that, we can know that God always hears us. And that we are always doing those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now again, the natural mind immediately goes to behavior, choices, actions in our life. And the devil's always there to, and quick to be there to tell us how he thinks we've fallen short. But that's not what's to govern us. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because he keep, we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You have every right to say, just like Jesus said, because you've been born again, because you're a child of God, you're a joint heir with Christ, I always do those things that please my Father. Because you're not sinning from the inside. The man on the inside resents the sin that's in our flesh. I always do those things that please my Father. That's what the Bible's telling us. Because we've been made joint heirs with him. And this is his commandment. Verse 23. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ. And love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him. And he in him. And hereby we know that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us. Now the problem with that is the word commandment again. We keep his commandments. That, that leads the natural man to think about lifestyle. It, it leads the natural man to think about behavior. And he's not talking about behavior. He just identified what the commandment was. It's similar to what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love one toward another. But notice John adds something. He doesn't just say love one another as he gave us commandment. What does John know? John knows what the Bible was intended to teach all of us. Over and over and over again. Many times. It tells us. That Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. What is the keeping of God's commandment? Well, we know we're supposed to walk in love, but that should be easy enough because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost at the new birth. But notice John adds in there, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, if Abraham is our example, and it was not his lifestyle, there were no commandments to keep. There was no law of Moses given to him. If Abraham is our example, and the Bible tells us again and again and again, that God counted 
to Abraham righteousness. Because he believed him. Because Abraham believed God. Then that makes faith the sum total of righteousness. Not your actions. Not your behavior. And I would remind you that in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham begins by questioning God about his children. You promised me children years ago, still haven't had them. What about that? God shows Abraham all the stars in the sky. Takes him out, shows him a starry night. Says, how many stars are there? Abraham says, too many to count. God responds and says, so shall your seed be. That's what Abraham believed. It says in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 15, and Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. What about chapter 16? Chapter 16 is where Abraham took Sarah's handmaid, Hagar, and had a child by her. Not his finest hour. And I think we would agree, not just from the consequences, but from what the Bible tells us, that that choice, that behavior, that action, was not in line with what God's original plan was. But it didn't negate his righteousness, did it? God didn't appear in chapter 16 after Hagar gets pregnant and says, Abraham, you stupid fool. What have you done? Just last chapter, I counted it to you for righteousness because you believed me. Now, because of your actions, your choice, your behavior, everything is messed up. It's not what happened, is it? His behavior, his wrongful action, and it was wrong action, did not negate the righteousness that God had counted to him because of his faith. Same thing's true of Paul. Paul tells us of his experience, his struggle with his flesh in chapter 7 of Romans, as we've already mentioned. He comes to the place where he says, I can't control my body. I, the man on the inside that's been born again, that has received the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that he wrote to us about, he says, I can't control my body in every situation. And I feel condemned about it. But it doesn't keep God from using him, does it? Doesn't keep God from making him an apostle and giving him a place of priority and honor in the church, did it? Now, here's the question I've got for you folks. The righteousness of God comes by faith, which we'll define for this sermon, this purpose, as believing and acting like God's word is true. That's all Abraham did. He believed and acted like God's word is true. Doesn't mean he never missed it. Doesn't mean he conquered sin in every area of his life. It just means that he believed and acted like God's word is true. Well, you've done that, haven't you? Didn't you do that when you made Jesus your Lord? Sure you did. And it wasn't just counted to you for righteousness. You were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. By the precious blood of Jesus, by the power that's in the blood of Jesus. So here's my question. What sin of yours is greater than the power that's in the blood of Jesus? Now think that through. 
because we let our feelings about our own actions and our own lifestyle choices and behavior and so forth, our own works, we let our feelings about how far short we have fallen from God's standard determine whether or not we come into the throne room of God, whether or not we believe or how strongly we believe that God hears and answers our prayer, all based on our action. Does that not indicate that we have greater faith in our failures than we have in what God's word says? Well, how long are we going to keep doing that? Somebody came to Jesus. I want you to see this. Turn with me over to uh, John chapter 6. Somebody came to Jesus and asked him a question. Let's start in verse 28. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Now, folks, this is the perfect question for the modern day church. Because the modern day church is looking for the modern day Christian, the average guy, the person that loves God with all their heart. Wants to do right. Not somebody that's just using God, trying to, trying to manipulate him for their own benefit. But people that are sincere and honest before God. They want to know, what can we do so that God will be pleased with us? Notice what Jesus said. What shall we do, Master, that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered in verse 29 and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. I'll say it again in a little different way. The one work of righteousness that we're responsible for under the new covenant is to believe God. Is to have greater faith in Him and what the Bible says He has done for us than our own feelings about ourselves. That is the work of God. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Notice what the Bible says in John chapter 16 about the work of the Holy Ghost. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, last night with his disciples, he says, beginning in verse 7, John 16, 7, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, if the Comforter doesn't come, if I don't go away, go to the Father, finish the work of redemption. You can't be born again. You can't have the help and the power of the Holy Ghost. And it's better for you to be born again, to have received the gift of righteousness and the help of the Holy Ghost 
than it would be for me to stay here on the earth forever and you be here with me. Now, I'm sure they didn't think that was true. I'm sure they would much have preferred that Jesus stayed there with him, them. But that's because they didn't know what was coming. So Jesus said, it's better for you. It's more expedient. It's helpful for you that I go away. But and if I depart, I will send him unto you. Verse 8, and when he has come, here's the work of the Holy Ghost after Jesus was raised from the dead. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. Now, the word reprove means convince or convict. He says the, the world, the Holy Ghost will bring conviction upon the world about sin. And of righteousness and of judgment. Now, he's going to explain it. He says he's going to convict or convince the world of sin because they believe not on me. Folks, there's only one sin that counts with God, and that's rejecting Jesus. That's it. Well, you've already crossed that hurdle, haven't you? You've already jumped that fence. You don't reject Jesus. You accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You believed on him. Then why in the world should we allow our behavior to keep us away from the one that loved us? He said the Holy Ghost will reprove the world of sin because they believe not on me. He'll reprove the world, convict the world of righteousness because I go unto my Father. And you see me no more. He'll convict or convince the world of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now, folks, I don't know if you've picked this up when we just read through it. We went kind of quickly. But the only sin that the Holy Ghost convicts anybody of is the sin of rejecting Jesus, and that's the unsaved. So that means that the Holy Ghost does not bring condemnation to you when you miss it. When you stumble and fall, it's not the Holy Ghost that brings conviction or condemnation. That's your own spirit. That's your own heart. But notice what the Holy Ghost will do, not concerning the world, but to his, to his family. The Holy Ghost is not going to convict the world of righteousness because they don't know or care about righteousness. The one issue for the world is rejecting Jesus. But he will convict or convince the church of righteousness because he goes to the Father. What does that mean? That means the only thing that God is interested in us as far as works that please him is to believe. Then he says of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Again, that's the work of the Holy Ghost for the church because Satan's already been judged. Sin in the flesh has already been condemned. Where does it say without good works it's impossible to please God? Nowhere in the New Testament. But Hebrews 11.6 does say without faith it's impossible to please God. Faith, believing and acting like what God said is true, is the sum total of righteousness. It's the only measuring stick it has. Which means that unrighteousness, or unbelief, excuse me, which means that unbelief is the primary enemy against God. And the reason for that is not because God doesn't like people that are not believers, 
or Christians who refuse to accept the word to be true. It means it's impossible for God's plan and purpose to be accomplished in the presence of unbelief. It takes the individual out of the place where their rights and privileges can be accepted and received. Folks, faith is the issue. It's the only issue. Now, here's my question, or another one, rather. I've got a lot of them. But here's my question. Is there anybody in here? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. Is there anybody in here that under any circumstances or any situation would ever choose to refuse to believe God? I can stand here and say the same thing I expect you to be able to say, and that is, I will never choose not to believe God. Now, I may not be successful in everything because of a lack of knowledge. But from my heart, I always want to believe God. I always want to take advantage of and take hold of whatever Jesus has accomplished for us, whatever he purchased for us. You can say the same thing, can't you? Well, think about what that means. That means you can never, in any circumstance, even if we mess up, even if we fail to believe God, but we do it honestly because we don't know. God doesn't hold against you what you don't know. That means that we can never be in a place where the devil has any foothold to claim that we are unrighteous in any form or any shape or any fashion, ever. See, folks, it really means something when the Bible says we've been made the righteousness of God. It's his righteousness. It's of him, meaning the only way it can be broken is from his side not yours and it never will be that means we can say with Jesus we always do those things that please our father doesn't mean we never trip and fall doesn't mean we never stumble doesn't mean we always do things right it means from the inside of our heart from the man on the inside the recreated man on the inside we always want to do the right thing that's what counts as righteousness with God Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Is this making any sense? Righteousness is a hard thing for me to teach because there are some things that you, you don't get by hearing, you get by seeing. And there's some things that the Lord has shown me concerning the subject of righteousness that have made a tremendous difference in my relationship with him. But how did you get that across to other people? It wasn't some brand new revelation. It wasn't some eye-open experience like, wow, I've never heard this, never seen this. I had heard it before, but I didn't really hear it. I was aware of what others said, but I didn't really have the revelation of it on the inside. But once I did, it changed everything. Let's start in verse 24, Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, 
talking about the uh, earthly temple, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. In other words, it's King James English way of saying Jesus made one sacrifice that was worthy forever. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared, notice this phrase, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Notice that it said Jesus entered in once into the heavenly holy of holies, however that worked. I don't know exactly what to expect when we get there. But there was an action that Jesus took in heaven that put away sin he put away sin now that doesn't mean you'll never sin it means as far as you're concerned because you've been made righteous by his blood because our righteousness is of him it means very simply that sin has been dealt with once and for all well what about when we sin What about when we stumble and fall? What should we do there? Well, there are some in the body of Christ that teach that even your future sins have been paid for. It's part of the grace teaching so that we never even have to ask God for forgiveness for what we do wrong. Now, folks, I got to tell you, I'm not a theologian, but I've got a brain. Those may be mutually exclusive conditions, I'm not sure. But you know as well as I do that earthly relationships are more easily and better maintained when we're not afraid to and even are quick to say we're sorry for things that we've done wrong. Why wouldn't we do the same thing with God? 1 John 1 9 says, For if we confess our sins, it's talking to the church. Some people say this written to the world. Some people say that in the first chapter of John, 1 John is not written to the church, it's written to the world. Well, 1 John 1 9 says, For if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word unrighteousness there means unrighteous action. Doesn't mean a change in nature. If that were written to the world, the unsaved, then the Holy Ghost would be telling the world that the way to salvation is to confess your sins. And that's not what the New Testament teaches. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If we believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confess him as Lord, not confess your sins, but confess him as Lord, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the key to righteousness, or the entering into righteousness, is not the confession of sin. How would you remember all the sins you committed in your life anyway if you're anything more than just a child? 
It's got to be written to the church. It's an acknowledgement that as believers, we may stumble and fall. Newsflash, folks, God knows you're going to mess up. Does that matter to him? Not when it comes to righteousness. Does it negate your relationship with God? Does it negate the new nature of the born-again believer? No. Neither can it. So the one issue we have, if we see that we've done the wrong thing, again, like Paul explained about his own experience in Romans chapter 7, what did Paul learn to do? He learned that there was no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And he confessed his sin and was forgiven for the stumbles and the slips in his life, just like we are. There is no sin, no sin on the part of the believer that can change his spiritual nature. And it glorifies God, maybe more than ever, when in the midst of our stumbles, we stand up and declare that we are the righteousness of God in him. Which is exactly the opposite of what the natural man is inclined to do. We stumble and fall. We fall into some kind of sin or temptation or whatever the case is. And we want to hide from God like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. We want to hide from God for a couple of days. And after a couple of days, we'll get it behind us and then we'll feel better. Well, why do we want to forfeit those couple of days of fellowship? Those couple of days that we look for our feelings to assuage themselves or be satisfied could be the most important days of our lives. But if instead we stand up and say, Father, I missed it. But you know it didn't miss it from my heart. I missed it from the flesh. So I confess that sin and I declare that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing rubs the devil's nose in it more than that. Nothing shows the defeat of Satan in greater way than that. That's why Paul wrote to the church, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace because you're just as righteous as Jesus is. God put away Jesus' sin nature after he took upon himself spiritual death just as surely as he took away your sin nature. And nothing you can ever do will change that. So, I guess the becomes an easy, easy way to come to a conclusion. Since that's the case, why not enjoy it? Why not enjoy the experience of being eternally righteous? Even when we slip, even when we stumble, even when we fall. Believing God is the sum total of righteousness. The Word of God tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. That means to live like God's Word is true. Train yourself so that no matter what happens in life, your first question is, what does the Bible say about this? Then do what it says and watch the blessings of God come to pass. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb.
See, what we stumble in, what we yield to, the temptations that we yield to and the devil's influence we yield to, they're not a surprise to God. He knew it would happen. He knew it would be the way that it is. And he loves you enough anyway to make you part of it, part of his family. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.